The Law Report with Michael Mutsuning Bill on Kaya FM 95.9. Good evening and welcome to The Law Report. My name is Michael Mutwining Bill. Good to be with you this Wednesday evening. We're talking about COVID-19 from a variety of angles. And I'm going to start with the last angle that we're going to be exploring. And, and that really is how the uh, legislation is going to be amended to incorporate, amongst other things, um, COVID-19. So that's what we're doing in the second part of the show. But in the first part of the show... Um, we are talking about the issue of the purchase of vaccines and I'm talking to uh, Trade Union Solidarity spokesperson Yaku Kleinhans um, and um, if you have any questions for my guest, any thoughts on this because I think this is a matter that affects all of us do give me a call, the number to dial is 86 959 you can also send me a tweet I go by the handle of Matuning Bill, uh, that's my Twitter handle at Matuning Bill, so I look forward to engaging with you on those forums. Uh, let me welcome my guest, uh, Yaku Klenans. Yaku, good evening, and thank you very much for talking to us this evening. Are you well? Um, good evening. Uh, it's, uh, unfortunately, I don't think Yaku, I think he gave me the hospital pass because it's Connie Mulder, the head of research at Solidarity. I, I beg your pardon. Connie Mulder, uh, you no say? Yes. All right, Connie, good to have you anyway. Um, let me let me just pick up on, on this. What is the... Um, what, 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 maybe explain it in your own words. I mean, the headlines everywhere are talking about, um, you as well as Afri Forum, uh, intending to bring some court action against the government. Yes. In your own words. All right. So let's, uh, let, let's just start with why is this important? And, uh, well, tell us, tell me what it is that you're doing and then, and then we can get yes, into the exactly. logic. Right. Yeah. So we, we are, uh, trying to get South Africa vaccinated in short as yeah. quickly as possible. Um, the only way out of perpetual lockdown for South Africa and for every citizen in South Africa is um, to get a vaccination program underway and to get mm. enough of the adult population vaccinated. Otherwise, we're not going to get it done. And that is why it bothers us uh, a lot. Like uh, we're, we're extremely worried when government steps in and says that they are going to gatekeep the procurement of vaccines, which means they're going to be the sole buyers of vaccines. What is the government um, saying? I mean, I mean... I- Assume that we don't know. Um, we we want to know what the government is so saying. So this is government that said that they will be the only ones that mm. buy vaccines from manufacturers. No one else will be able to buy them. And then they will determine how many each province gets and how many the private sector gets. So this in short means uh, they're envisioning that uh, the National Department of Health will buy every single vaccine that comes to South Africa. And then they will tell this game or uh, clicks, you get this amount of vaccines. Um, go and, and, and try and vaccinate it. Now, this would bother us um, in, with any government. Uh, this is something that we don't see why why this would be the reason. Obviously, government should buy vaccines. We've got an issue with government buying vaccines. The, the, the public health service will obviously need vaccines as well. Our issue is with why the restriction on anyone else mm. buying vaccines. Um, surely this is a situation where you, you're going to use all the help you can get. Um, we as a trade union, for example, we would like to vaccinate our members. And we want, we're talking with manufacturers saying, but... Uh, Let's let's get some vaccines in. Let's see if we can uh, expedite the process. And now suddenly you've got a government that insists on uh, being the sole buyers. Now any government would worry us. This government, in particularly, has us as a scared to death almost. Um, especially since the fact is, uh, without vaccination, we're going to have a third wave, we're going to have a fourth wave, and we're going to be in lockdown until 2023. Now this is the government that has quite frankly been asleep at the wheel 
regarding vaccinations. Most of last year, they did absolutely nothing. They had one meeting in September where they decided they're not going to pre-buy vaccines because what if it doesn't work and we lose money? At the same, one month later, they then spent 16 billion rand on SAA, which is almost certain to lose money. So it's uh, for that, just that's the context for that same money, we could have vaccinated the whole population. Um, uh, then uh, in December, they suddenly woke up on the 28th of December. Yeah. And, uh, and said, now they've got a vaccine rollout program. Now, if we compare this in world terms, um, by the 28th of December, the UK had been busy vaccinating its, uh, its citizens for three weeks. They, they already had the rollout plan completely uh, put in place. They literally sat with every, everything ready, just waiting for approval for the vaccine. And then they started vaccinating their, their citizens on the 8th of December. Mm-hmm. The United States started on the 14th, Israel on the 19th of December, um, Germany on the 26th, Belarus, Argentina, Mexico, all of these countries started on the 28th, 29th of December. We ha- did not even have a plan on the 28th and the 29th. So now we're, we begged for uh, 1 million vaccines from India. And now just for context, India bought 2.2 billion vaccines last year when we were still not uh, talking about vaccination. So they gave us a million. Um, that's the only vaccines that we're going to see until April if we rely on government alone. Then in April, we're getting, I think it's about 12 million more which is 6 million people. So we're looking at 10% of the population and we need to get to 67%. Um, and then no one knows. Uh, the government says, uh, they say they've got commitments, but there's no indication that they've actually got them locked up. And that means we look at starting vaccination for the general public by July, August, if we're lucky. Now, this is, do you remember, the same government that promised us Medupi and Kusida in 2013, and they're still not quite done. So if you believe their timelines, then then uh, I don't think you've been paying attention the last 10 years. This, this is something yeah. that worries us a lot. Now, now tell me, you said you've made a bed for, you say you made a, a bed for uh, 1 million uh, doses of vaccine. Maybe take us through that, how that works. Um, when um, you say a bid, well, do you have well, to compete well, uh, in the world stage for vaccines? Yes, okay, so our government begged, basically, they begged India for one and a half million vaccines. That is a double dose, so we can vaccinate 750,000 healthcare workers. Now, that should have arrived, but it seems that it's not quite yet arrived, and we need to get that done before mm. the end of, uh, well, they said the end of January, but I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, that's the, that's the point, is with government as sole buyer, that is the total amount of South African citizens that are going to be vaccinated until at least April. It's going to be 750,000 out of 60 million. Um, this is whilst Israel is now at 30% of the population has been vaccinated. Um, all other countries look like they'll be done with their vaccination programs by July, and we will most likely not even have started. Well, when, now, when did we have, I mean, I mean, sorry, finish, I, I thought you were finished. Finish, finish what you needed to no, say. No, no, no. Yeah. That's, that's the point. So what we're saying is we... we we're angry at government for dropping the ball, obviously. They, they were received at the wheel with vaccinations. It was the one thing that you could do. Um, they didn't. They, they didn't do anything. But what, what really gets us bristling is that not only have they dropped the ball, they're now insisting no one else pick it up. And this is the part where we say, listen, just allow us to buy vaccines. We're going to go to court to be able to buy vaccines. And that would enable trade unions to buy vaccines directly from manufacturers, to not have to go through government, and to then inoculate their members. This will allow companies to buy vaccines and inoculate their employees. It will allow NGOs to buy vaccines and inoculate the communities that they serve. And then we can bypass a government that's only looking to start vaccinating uh, by July. Um, now, it's, it's unfathomable for me that they would oppose us in this. I don't understand why they don't want any help in getting South Africa vaccinated. Um, all indications are we need to vaccinate 95% of the adult population. 
Uh, now, I, there's no way that government will be able to, to roll that out in a year, even in two years, it's going to be extremely difficult. You obviously need the private sector on board completely. You need every single um, community uh, in, uh, institution on board. And then you've got uh, this insistence on, we will be the only buyers of vaccines. No one else will be permitted to buy them in any way. And that's why we're going to court to say we need a court order that says if this is legal, because that's the second part now. When we when we heard this, we thought this sounds weird, and then we uh, went with our legal team, and we cannot find the regulation or the law that allows Mr. Mkhizi to uh, law and medicines. Not, none of that actually allows him to do it at the moment. The only authority is a presentation from a parliament that says they will be the sole supplier or the sole buyer, but there's nothing in le- in law that actually allows this. And that's what we're going to call for a declaratory court order to explain to us, is this possible? Is it not possible? And if it's not possible, then the court will say, okay, government cannot actually prohibit you. Anyone is per- is permitted to um, to buy vaccines from manufacturers if necessary and get South Africa vaccinated as quickly as possible. I, 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 I understood you to be saying some countries that started vaccinating as early as 8 December. When did we, in fact, have an approved um vaccine uh, uh, in the world in the world yeah. uh, on the uh, it was early december that's the only time so uh, the, the uk and the united states for example had their the complete infrastructure ready for the rollout and they just waited for the fda and for the nhs then to to approve the vaccine and that happened in the uk i think the 7th or the 8th of december and america a week later all right. So, I, I mean, is is is, and, I, and I'm just assuming. I, we, we unfortunately we don't have the government. H- have you written to the government um, and said to them, "Hey, I mean, I mean, I, I first heard about the the your position as a solidarity as well as Afri Forum." Um, some, I'm guessing, two weeks ago. Uh, uh, yes. um, so that's that's the earliest that I heard about your 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 intentions. I'm assuming in the intervening period you've made attempts to engage government, uh, and if so, what what's the outcome of those? Yes, so so when we when when it was announced that we were sole buyers, uh, we we checked if it's possible, and then we thought, all right, maybe we're missing something. So we wrote the Department of Health a letter saying we we need to understand why are you doing this, and based on what are you doing this. And um, we gave them, I think it was seven days to respond, yeah. and we got nothing, no, no response. Um, it's actually, it's uh, it's uh, sort of a, uh, we got content at, at best. Now this is something that that really bothers us, especially uh, a government that has been mishandling the pandemic this way, that shows this level of contempt to people who are who are asking legitimate questions, who are asking, you, you have not had a vaccine rollout program. Why are you prohibiting us? from doing it if you are not going to do it. Um, and we and if you said this moment, we do not trust you to do this. Um, it's based on very good evidence. You stole funds for PPEs, for, for personal protective equipment, in the middle of a pandemic. You cannot keep the power on. We do not think you're going to get South Africa vaccinated. Why would you stop us from doing it ourselves? And then we got no response. And that means, unfortunately, if, you, if there's no way government does not engage, um, then we need to go to the courts and... Uh, Get a, get a court order and litigate. And that's why we're in the situation we're in now. If you've just joined us, I'm talking uh, to um, Solidarity and we're discussing their intention to uh, bring a court application to challenge um, what they describe as a monopoly by the government in buying and distributing uh, COVID-19 vaccines. So any questions that you might have, any comment, in fact, you you are welcome also to engage with us in number two dollars, 86 I'm, I'm, You know, I'm just trying to imagine what 
the, the what reasons could exist for for the stance. It, it, it could it perhaps not be to curb the increase of prices because if you have private sector buying, generally what is being said is code name for rich people buying. Uh, would that not sort of pose dangerous competition on on uh, in in the trading market as it resultantly increased demand, consequently increased the price of the vaccines? Is that a potential? Um, uh, consideration on the part of the government, you think? Well, it's it's uh, it's twofold. The first thing is, with a vaccine, I don't think we we care about price that much. We care about speed. Um, it, it's quite simple. Uh, the longer we delay this, but I mean, wouldn't you care about and, price if you've got to vaccinate fifty million, sixty million people? I mean, sixty point, times any sixty million times pretty much yeah. any number is a lot of money. Exactly. So that's the point is uh, you don't need to do that. Um, right. You need to, if you, if you get the public sector and the private sector going at the same time, you would only need to vaccinate 20 million people. Uh, that. And then if we're talking about price, uh, this vaccine is one of the most sought after commodities in the world. Mm. And you're not competing against our private sector. You're competing against America. You're competing against the UK who have paid exorbitant prices. Yeah. Now, that's, that's the point is we, we are going to compete on price. Why not let the private sector get them in? If, if necessary, we're part of COVAX. Which no, no, but, but, the, but the point is, I mean, I, mean I, I, get, I get your anger and I get your desperation, but I'm really just trying to understand whether there might be some kind of argument on the other side. And, and, and what I'm directing you to engage on is if, if, if I am company X and I'm sitting in, in, in Switzerland, I know for sure that you have 60 million citizens. And if the 60 million citizens are divided into a cluster of government and another cluster of private sector, the private sector cluster being subdivided into yet 100 more clusters, are, are, we not in, are we not leading to a situation where company X in Switzerland would say, well, I'm actually now going to up the price because there isn't one voice. It's almost like is the government not trying to say, let's, let's use 60 million bargaining power? As opposed yes. to, um, uh, you know, you know a broken down. Yeah. With, with one exception is there are 250 candidates for vaccines out there. There are several companies and there mm. are re- realistically five or six big companies that, um, that have already completed the vaccine. So it's on both sides. They cannot lift the price exorbitantly because then you just uh, go to another manufacturer. Um, from our perspective, we're, we're, I think as South Africa as a government in any case, we need to make a, make a bit of peace with the fact that you are going to pay more if you want the vaccine quicker. Mm. That's the whole COVAX facility, which is if companies cannot, uh, if man, uh, countries can't afford it, they go into COVAX and then they will get the vaccine at two or three dollars, uh, and uh, vaccination, mm-hmm. but they will get it in 2022. Mm. Now, we're not one of those com- com- of countries. That's the fascinating part is we're also in COVAX. But we're not in COVAX as a receiver, we're uh, in COVAX as a contributor. So we're paying $13 a vaccine in COVAX, which is more expensive than America or the UK. So whatever the government has done with uh, negotiations, I don't think they've done it well if we're paying more than uh, the other countries. And uh, that's, that, that's part of the point is we're, we're getting 10% of the population out of COVAX. We've got no plans for any other bilateral agreements. And the price will... I, I don't think it will be too inflated too much uh, for the simple reason. What is the price? The whole world. At the moment, it depends um, mm. which one you're doing. Johnson & Johnson, but let's look in rand terms. You're looking at... Uh, I didn't hear that. Johnson & Johnson? Johnson & Johnson should be, I think it's almost a 100 rand uh, vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, AstraZeneca should be 65 to 70 rand. Um, and then Pfizer and those have not been costed that well, but they, it depends on if you need to have a deal. It, it varies 
greatly. So it's it's also not a massive amount of money. That's the part that I think we, we need to understand. Mm, mm. Um, it's not prohibitive. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, it's not yeah. going to be three hundred billion. We're going to be able to vaccinate to buy vaccines for the whole country for twenty five billion rand or thirty billion rand. Now it's it's a lot. But do keep in mind, we spent 26 billion rand on SAA last year, and ESCOM we spent more than 100 billion rand. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we can debate those. Cool. They, they, they quite. They, we can debate those. Um, but, yes. but I think for for now, the the the, the vaccines. No, no. Exactly. Now, uh, the second part about the cost is, however, you need to. There are two parts to this. The second part is um, the quicker we get vaccinated, the quicker we get out of lockdown and back to work. Exactly. And that means um, we can actually pay a lot. Just, just to lift the alcohol ban because that's how many billion rands of tax income lost for government. Um, not having an economy function for almost more than, a, if we go six to eight months more of lockdown, the economic cost is, is staggering. So that means um, in terms of what we're getting if we vaccinate the population, the cost is actually insignificant if we, if, even if we spend a lot. That's, that's the part that worries us is we've got a government that now insists on fiscal prudence in a situation where we really need to get efficiency and speed uh, done because the rest of the world is going to open in seven or eight months uh, at, 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 at worst. And we're going to be in lockdown. And then if we miss the, the tide that starts lifting up the rest of the economies, uh, we're not going to make it. Um, quite frankly, South Africa is already in dire straits. We're sitting at unemployment of almost 40% now. Uh, we, we desperately need to get people back to work. And the only way we do that is we get the country vaccinated um, and get out of lockdown. And then we've got a government that insists that they will do this alone when they've literally managed to do nothing well when they do it alone. Um, we do not understand why. Uh, I, I, uh, I was listening to, to the president today uh, in the news, and uh, it, it seems that his, his take on this whole vaccine, vaccine thing is um, he feels quite aggrieved by the fact that a lot of these trials were conducted in on our continent but it is in fact our continent uh, that is unable to access these vaccines so the, the issue seems to be bigger than who can buy but actually whether we can actually get these things it, 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 it what was that uh, a, a fair impression of of what's really going on going on in the market um if, if south africa does not get vaccines in africa not it is literally the fault of every single african government for the simple reason, Pfizer repeatedly reached out to our Department of Health saying, we're developing vaccines, would you like to be part of the trials and would you like to be part of the, would you like to receive some of them? They got no answer. So this is a president that is now blaming everyone else when they did nothing for six months when every other, every other country in the world was busy procuring vaccines. Now they, now obviously the rest of the world has vaccines and we don't. And now they're complaining about equity. This is, this is absurd. Um, we, we, we did not do what we should have done. Now we're behind the curve, and it's not everyone else's fault for procuring vaccines timelessly for their citizens. It's our fault for not doing it. And hiding behind equity and all of this, that doesn't really uh, shake out at all. South Africa is not a poor country in world terms. Um, we should have had bilateral agreements, even if you want to go through COVAX, uh, which is the facility that says equitable access to vaccines. COVAX guarantees you 10% of your population, or it, it provides 10%. You would in any case have to go with through bilateral agreements for the other 50, 60% to get to 65%. We did none of that. Nothing like this, like the sorts. We cannot be angry at other countries whose governments actually did their jobs when ours didn't. Um, this is, it's a, it's a cheap cop-out argument for the simple reason. They, they got caught out, uh, well, they got caught with their pants on their knees here and on the, at the end of December. And now they're scrambling to, uh, to try and make it everyone else's fault. But it's not. It is, it is very straightforward. A government that bails out SAA in the middle of a pandemic rather than buying vaccines to end the pandemic is uh, guilty of uh, reckless, reckless negligence. 
Well, I understand you, you have to go and you're rushing and, and, I, and, I, and I still wanted to talk to you some more. Can I detain you for five more minutes after my break? Um, we can, yeah. All right, great. Thank you for that. I'm going to take a break and when I come back, I'm just going to have five more minutes um, with my guest from Solidarity and then uh, we're going to move on to the second part of the show. We're back after this. The Law Report with Michael Mutsuning Bill on Kaya FM 95.9. Our conversation talking about um, the uh, intention by AfriForum as well as Solidarity to challenge um, the intention by government to be the sole procurer and distributor of COVID-19 vaccines. Um, you, you know, it, b- before we took the break, um, we were, and, and maybe let me just pause and welcome Ernest Roots from AfriForum. Ernest, good evening and thank you for talking to me. Uh, hello, it's uh, Aaron Svantail of AfriForum. <laughs> all right, I got I got all my names wrong. Um, <laughs> Absolutely no problem. Uh, Adam, good to be talking to you. Nevertheless, um, it's not one of those situations where Ernest, can I call you <laughs> Adam? <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's all, I'm also I got Adam. It. I got I'm it. I'm Adam Spanto. I got it. Thank you. <laughs> all right. So, I mean, let's just talk about, um, I mean, before we took a break, I know you got to run. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, my guest from Solidarity has got to run, and I and I asked to detain him for just five minutes. And 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 one of the questions that I just wanted to pose um, before I took the break was: Is this sort of a real threat? Is this a real stance by the government? Because surely, surely they can't just announce. Um, you know, you, you you don't make laws by just simply standing up and announcing what you intend to do, and that suddenly binds. Um, private sector if you want to prohibit the private sector from procuring privately or for themselves I mean never mind even the private sector why can't I Michael say well I want to get a vaccine for my mother and I'm going to import it whatever um, is this sort of a real thing because if it's if, the, if, if we can't find it in any law should we really be worried about it um, can I, yeah, well, Michael yeah. the answer is yes um, that's the part that baffles us is uh, Repeatedly, uh, on several occasions, uh, clarity has been sought by the media at media conferences, and every single time, Minister Mkiza has doubled down and said, yes, we will be the only buyers, with no law behind this, with no, no regulation. Now, this would not be normal, you're correct. Yeah. However, you're looking at a government who, if you remember correctly, Minister Patel, in the middle of lockdown, uh, suddenly banned all warm chicken from Woolworths uh, at a media conference. And then got caught out because there's no regulation that actually does that. Yeah. And then got taken to court and the day before the court hearing amended the regulation to suddenly allow it and, uh, and avoid his day in court. So it's, we've, we've moved to a situation where we've got a government who is not really uh, governing anymore. They're just ruling. Um, and and this, is, this is not something that's, that's tenable in South Africa. We cannot have this rule by diktat that we see. And that is uh, another reason why they're going to court it. You cannot have a, a, a presentation in front of a parliamentary committee and then suddenly expect everyone to cowtail that when it's not a law, it's, it's gone through no processes, it's not a regulation that you can challenge on irrationality. It's just basically Minister Mkhizi bullying medical aids into buying, uh, into buying from the government. And with no legal backing behind it. And that's, that's what we hope to achieve, to say that this is not something that you need to bother with. As you rightly pointed out, if you're a private citizen and you're worried about your mother, you should have the fullest right to try and procure this vaccine. Government should obviously also buy vaccines. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to be one of the biggest buyers in Africa. We just don't see why you should prohibit anyone else from buying it. And that is exactly what I'm going to court. Because we're, we're fed up with this ruling by Dictat, finding out on media conferences uh, with immediate effect stuff and suddenly banned. Um, the the that damage that that has done 
Mm-hmm. is actually phenomenal. But I'm sorry, I really, really... You, you got a dash, and thank you very much for, for hanging in there. I really appreciate it. Let me, pick up, let me pick up, I mean, um, you know, just maybe your, your thoughts um, if, if, as Afri Forum. Um, you are, you know, we understand that you have engaged the government, you haven't heard from the government. Are you, are, is there a serious intention to now proceed in view of the fact that there isn't a law that specifically right. says this is the intention? Mm. Yeah, so Africa Forum uh, and Solidarity will be in court on the two, uh, 2nd of March. And uh, this is because the government's refusal to provide clarity to us uh, about their plans to monopolize the procurement and rollout of vaccines mm-hmm. simply proves that, it's, uh, that the government considers their uh, consolidation of power more important than saving lives. I mean, we can clearly see here we're dealing with a government that attaches more value to, uh, to uh, consolidating power than transparency and whose promises of dialogue when they say, well, uh, we, uh, we care about comments and we care about dialogue is simply lip service because they slam the door in our face when we ask for clarity. But but I mean you've gone you've gone to court you would have brought you would have brought an application has the has a government or any any uh, department within it responded or answered your 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 papers in court because surely um, you, you you know you can't be the only person in court um, uh, on 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 the date that you mentioned I think you said two March. Mm. Well, have uh, you had a response? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, we sent the letter first, uh, and then when we didn't get a response, uh, then we uh, take the, we took the necessary steps now to take them to court, because the government has clearly indicated to us that they have no intention of talking to us or even answering our questions, so then we have no choice but to get their attention through the only language that they seem to understand, and that is taking them to court. Okay, but, but I mean, I, I, I get that, but I mean, I, I, I'm just wondering whether there's actually a real dispute here where they say something in in whatever forum but it's not it's certainly not law uh and it's certainly not policy uh it's just a statement that somebody makes uh, no different from from now on you can't buy a warm chicken from woolies um and and you write to them but they don't say we are gonna take but i mean has anybody tried to call pfizer or uh, johnson and johnson or whomever and say can i buy and the government stand in your way and say actually you can't buy because you know you you'd, you'd have to you can't you'd have to have a real dispute in 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 court and in, and I'm just wondering whether there is one here. Well, it's the government proposing that they're going to have a monopoly on the vaccine, so I would uh, assume yeah. that that's the the place where you go then. So then we ask them, can we just get clarity on whether the the private sector will not be allowed, as they seem to be indicating? Mm. And they didn't even take the time to inform us on that. So I think uh, the, the blame is fully on the government side, where they had an opportunity to clarify things, but they simply refused. But I mean, if if the government proposes something, can you take? Is that a dispute? Because it sounds to me, I mean, as a lawyer, if, if somebody says, "I'm thinking of doing this," um, that doesn't give sort of live to a real dispute. Uh, because it's it's only still a proposal. It, it should, is the right way not to say talk to Pfizer and say, "Can I have twenty thousand vaccines?" See if the government will stand in your way. Because they hold they have all sorts of intentions. The government's not just our own. Every government in the world, and it doesn't seem to me that I mean, if somebody doesn't answer you when you're saying, "Are you serious about your proposal?" It doesn't mean you have a dispute. I, I'm not sure. Oh, for me, it's very clear that mm. uh, we're dealing with uh, matters of life and death. We're dealing with matters of people not being able to save the lives of their loved ones. Mm. I think the, the least that the government can do is to take this seriously and give people very 
crystal clear clarity in regards to how the vaccine rollout will happen and how the vaccine procurement will, will, will happen. I don't think uh, this is just a trivial matter. It's not like yeah. the government is saying they're going to ban uh, blue shirts tomorrow. They're saying they're talking about monopolizing a vaccine that could possibly save lives. So this is a matter of giving people the opportunity to be able to, as you use the example, to give uh, the vaccine to their mother or to people that they love that are at risk of the disease. So I think this is a much more serious matter that warrants uh, this type of clarity from the government if they make these types of proposals. I would assume that when they make these types of proposals that they're being serious. It's not like they're just chatting around a briar fire. Mm. All right. Well, or not. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. That's uh, Afri Forum um, as well as uh, Solidarity. Please do keep us up to speed um, on what happens on the 2nd of March. I mean, we all have an interest in the outcome of, of, of your application, whichever way it goes. Thank you very much. All right. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. Let me hop on to our next topic um, for the evening. And, um, and I think this is absolutely still uh, a part of this issue that we're grappling with as a country where we're talking about COVID-19. And what's interesting is that as we are undergoing this process, as we're going through this period of uncertainty, laws are also being adapted to accommodate the changes, to accommodate, and, and, and laws, I guess, also to to make sure that all of the plans, the daily lives are not affected. And one of the interesting developments is uh, are happening in the what we call the COIDA Amendment Bill. And COIDA means the Compensation for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act. And that's the act that you use if you get hurt at work, if you if you get into an accident and you get injured or you get a you contract a disease from work. And, and we touched a little bit on this um, last week. And my guest then, as is today, is uh, Albert van der Merwe, uh, who's from the National Employers Labor Association. Albert, good to be talking to you again. Are you well? Good evening, Michael. Finding yourself. Very good, thank you. We spoke um, at length about some of the uh, good work that was happening insofar as um, when we're talking about domestic workers, for example. And one of the things that we that I found interesting but also bizarre at the same time was the inclusion of domestic workers uh, for uh, in, in UIF, uh, Unemployment Insurance Fund. And, and I thought, geez, is that even a new thing? I mean, they are employees. Why, why were they treated differently? But this week I've brought you in for something similar but not quite the same and I look forward to engaging with you. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me at such short notice, Albert. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Let me also welcome Tim Hughes. He's from IWAG. Tim, good evening and thank you very much for talking to me. Good evening. Good to be with you. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about your organizations just so that my um, Afropolitans know what you, where you're coming from and, and your point of view as, as we engage further because I read with great interest the article um, that, that your organization has prepared and, and thank you very much for, for you, you know, the, the time that you've spent thinking about this because I think it's something that we really need to talk about it. Talk to us about IWAG. Who's IWAG? Well, well, firstly, our thanks to you and thanks for the opportunity to share our concerns with you and your listeners. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, we, we're a coalition, Injured Workers Action Group, a coalition uh, of workers, medical service providers, companies and others, uh, civil society organizations. And we got together because the compensation fund became even more dysfunctional than it had been historically. 
uh, it shifted from one software system or system called Umashloku. It switched that off in, I think, August. Sorry, Tim, I don't have the best of lines. We're going to try to see if we um, if we can improve that. Um, I'll, I'll leave it up to um, uh, my technical producers to see if there's any improvement that we can effect on that. In the meantime, let me turn to Albert. Albert, um, you know, when we talk about COIDA, maybe just background for what that regulates and maybe just to recap on how um, it's been uh, adapted to, to incorporate domestic workers on, 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 on all the different fronts. Yeah, COIDA, as you um, rightly mentioned earlier on, is the uh, Compensations for Occupational Injuries and Diseases Act, um, and um, you know, and it's also in general referred to as the WCA, the Workers' Compensation. Um, now, what happens in in uh, or what actually happened is that um, commercial employees um, and employers, the employers had to be registered uh, under COIDA. Um, for for many many years, um, during all that time up to now, when the matter went to the constitutional court, um, domestic workers have been excluded from that act and the benefits of the act and the cover of the act. Now, um, with the um, unfortunate uh, passing of uh, um, a lady by the name of Mushlangu. Um, this uh, uh, she fell into a, into a swimming pool and to go into too much, too, too much detail mm. um, and she she then uh, she then drowned. Mm. Um, her daughter took the matter up and uh, with uh, over the civil organisations and and trade unions um, and the matter was then referred to the to the different courts mm. and it ended up in the constitutional court where the where the constitutional court ruled that the exclusion of domestic workers in the definition of employee in the in, in the Coit Act mm. was actually unconstitutional. Mm. And therefore, the order was made that that definition had to be changed and then employ, uh, domestic workers will then also benefit from from COIDA, mm. where they, uh, for example, you know, where they, where they get injured at, at work or um, contract a disease or anything like that. And so many, you know, there are so many examples of things that can happen at work, you know, electric, uh, electrocution, um, uh, you know, bitten yeah. by by the employee's dog, or maybe another dog in the in, in the area while she's while she's working, or um, yeah, and 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 many of these uh, examples. But but what is what um, uh, very positive is the fact that you know the playing field is now um, level when it comes to employees in South Africa as far as as Koida is concerned. Mm. We are from a um, employer's organization and uh, from employers, but as well as from the view of employees, very, very concerned on whether uh, COIDA will be able to handle these inclusions now of domestic workers. Mm. Um, It is a known fact that, uh, you know, claims that are actually lodged with a compensation fund it takes a very, very long time to uh, to get handled. 
to get uh, concluded. Um, and uh, that that is a huge concern. And the, the, the other thing that, uh, that um, concerns us as an employer's organization is how will, you know, how will the system run for employees of domestic workers? Because it's not the same as commercial, uh, commercial employees. We engaged with the Compensation Fund uh, last year already, and uh, um, we still don't have clarity on how they intend to, um, um, you know, structure this, this, uh, this admin system. Mm. Um, just to give you a bit of background, that commercial employers... Uh, on, a, on an annual basis around about March, April, submit the return of earnings, um, which may, uh, means that they, they declare the, the salaries, the wages that have been paid for for a year to the employees. And on that basis, um, and on the rates that have been determined by the, um, by the commission, then they pay a, um, an annual fee uh, towards uh, the compensation fund, which is then utilized for um, financing these claims. Mm. With, with domestic workers, um, it is, it's going to be a bit difficult if, you, if uh, the, uh, the commissioner wants to run it that way. Because you can, you can think for yourself, if you have 50 employees in a, in a company and one goes and another one comes in, it doesn't really have a huge effect on the, on the amount and the cover that, that has been uh, paid for. In the case of a domestic worker, the first thing is that a lot of the domestic workers now, especially in the, uh, in the urban areas, don't work for the same employer every day anymore. Mm. Uh, you still get your five-day workers, but then you get your one day uh, or two days or three days. And how are they going to administer that? Mm. The, um, the other thing is that uh, domestic workers also come and go frequently. And how is the commission going to, to handle that mm. um, if, you know, an employer must pay on an annual basis? Now, with, with, I don't know whether you're going to um, uh, allow this, but I just want to mention that in our employers' organization... I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Yes. I will absolutely allow whatever you want to say after the break. Let me take a break and also uh, check on... Tim Hughes to see if his, his line has improved. I'm going to take a break and when I come back we're talking about the Quieter Amendment Bill and some of the changes that have been introduced there so you want to stay tuned in to that one. We're back. The Law Report on Kaya FM 95.9 Welcome back. Um, continue my conversation. I'm talking to Albert Fanamara. He's from the National Employers Labor Association as well as Tim Hughes from IWAG and that stands for Injured Workers Action Group. Um, and as always, you can give us a ring, 86 And if you have any questions around how Quieter Amendment Bill is to affect you as an employee or even an employer, this is the show for you. Now, um, Tim, I absolutely want to pick up where we got cut off by technology, but Albert, you wanted to make a point that was so important it needed special permission. Yeah. Um, Michael, thank you for that. The thing is that um, although we are an employer's organization and we represent employers in, in, in labor matters, and uh, it, 
we we have to we have to be honest about this uh, the whole situation and um if you look at how the how the legislation works is that um all the compliance issues rest on the shoulders of the employers mm. so the employer has to um comply with the Basic Municipal Employment Act, uh, which is the Sectoral Determination 7 for domestic workers, um, with the UIF, with uh, the, 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 the COIDA now, um, and, um, and the legislation that, that, that governs the whole relationship. So, for, uh, for example, contract of employment is the responsibility of the employer to provide to the employee. Mm. Uh, a payslip is the responsibility of the employer to provide to the employee. Um, administration of leave is the responsibility and, of and the employer. And those are all the nice things which, um, if you're a company, you employ somebody who sits in payroll. Exactly. Um, but if you're exactly. a single mom... <laughs> mm. Exactly. And that is my point that I want to get to, is mm. that... Um, and now you get quite where you have now to to um, monitor and keep a record of the hours worked mm. by the employee, because at the end of the year or when the return of earnings must go in, you must actually declare how many hours, how many days have the employee worked for you, how much was she paid, and and that is something that I mean there, there are payroll companies, there are payroll platforms and everything to assist commercial employers. Now, what I wanted to say earlier on is that we have a, um, in our midst of the, our members, in the, one of our members in our um, employers' organization, um, actually launched, launched a platform uh, recently that, that assists employers to do this administration for them. Mm. It it, uh, it provides a contract of employment. It provides payslips at the end of the month. The leave administration is done, and now the module of 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 COIDA is going to be included, so that it can administer those those admi- administrative issues. And one one big issue that we as an employers organisation think is important, and I want to get back to the employees as well now yeah. because. That is, is, is very important. But Bef- just before, before you I do, yeah, that. before you do, Albert, I, I just wanted to slip yes. in that point. Uh, Tim has been quite patient with us. Tim, y- you got interrupted um, when when um, you know when I, when when a line failed us. But one of the more fascinating things I found about your article was w- when you were dealing with you know the the well, I, I guess you do highlight one of the important things around how. Um, health workers are going to be affected by all of these changes that are being introduced. For somebody who hasn't read quite a, uh, the amendment bill, please tell us what has been introduced uh, or, or proposed to be introduced and uh, before we get into what's wrong with it. Thanks, Michael. I, I hope that the line is a bit clearer. I'll speak as clearly as I possibly can. Perhaps even as close as possible to your device because I, I, yeah, I sense you. There you go. There much. Okay. All right. Fine. Well, sorry about the, the, the poor quality and, and thanks for the opportunity again. We, we agree with everything that Albert's been saying. That, mm. that is a great concern that 
the adoption uh, of absorption of, um, of domestic workers into the Act is, is a great development uh, achieved through the Constitutional Court, but the preparedness of the fund is simply not there. And, and the fund has been dysfunctional for many, many years. It was dysfunctional under the Omashluku system. It became more dysfunctional under the so-called CompEasy system. And that's why IWAG was created, to bring together, you know, employers, workers, and medical service providers to try and bring about some change at the compensation front. Your specific question related to the very interesting point and the change that is being proposed in the bill. And that is because the fund is dysfunctional. What happens now is that medical service providers often use administrators to administer their claims, to prepare their claims, to put the right codes, to deal with the compensation fund. And the security that those administrators use is in fact a session. So a medical service provider, a doctor, an occupational therapist, a physiotherapist, obviously has to put in a claim against the fund because they've just treated a worker. Good. Mm. So let's assume they're due to be paid five hundred grand by the fund. What they do now, because the fund is so difficult to access, it's so time consuming, we think only about thirty percent of medical practitioners successfully get onto the fund or engage with the fund. And we know that seventy percent of employers are dissatisfied with the fund. Well they use these administrators to help them to deal with the fund, do the administration, and in fact these administrators prepay. But I mean, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know the, the logic behind that. But I mean, it, it also seems as if the medical fraternity has been picked upon, because I can't imagine anybody trying to do anything of the sort with lawyers, uh, and pretty much anybody can see their debt. It's 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 something that you do, in fact, to bridge fin- your your financial uh, gaps and might actually help you manage your cash flow and ultimately survival. So. Do you imagine what the logic or rationale might be for this? Michael, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. You put your finger on it straight away. There's a legal consideration here. There's a rights consideration. You will know, too, that I think since 2005 in South Africa, every every bill, every act, every policy has to undergo a socioeconomic impact assessment to justify why there's a change in the law. The department eventually did one dated back in 20. There is absolutely no justification for this clause 43 in the bill, none whatsoever. What the minister has said historically is that the objective is to remove third parties. He says this on record in Parliament, it's on record in the committee. And there's some mention in the socioeconomic impact assessment of corruption. 
Now, of course, there can be like zero corruption. I, I mean, that, that would also mean we must stop buying PE, PPE and stop procuring by government because, you know, it's not the answer can't be uh, to throw the, the, the baby with the bathwater. Oh. Tim, the line is still very bad. The line is still very bad. I still want to talk to you. Um, I'm going to let Pa try his magic, maybe hang you up and call you again. Maybe maybe we'll, uh, third will be the charm. Um, so, but I, you know, I, I, the quality of the show has to be maintained, I'm afraid, but we, we're going to try you again. I have to talk to you. Albert, um, back to you. I mean, we were talking about some of the hurdles, uh, technology hurdles on the Department of Labor. Um, and I don't know what else you wanted to touch on and where I interrupted you. Pick up on that, if you will. Yeah, I think what, uh, what I would like to pick up on is, is the, is the administration as far as, um, uh, injuries are concerned. Now, you know, an employer will argue and say, "But I am I'm paying my dues to the to to the compensation fund." Mm. But now, when there is an injury, and this is, I think, what what um, what what our other guest speaker is is talking about, mm. is uh, um, the 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 inefficiency of of the department. Um, and when when a patient or when an employee is taken, for example, to a um, um, emergency room, then they actually require the employer to to carry that cost and to make that payment, mm. because the, the the service providers, the medical service providers, and we can't blame them, says, but you know, when I submit my claim for this injury. It just doesn't get paid, mm. and 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 that is and and that is in general. I mean, just one crossed my my desk today of an accident that was in a farm um, three years ago, and now the the pathologist, uh, um, you know, they they are looking for this for this payment because because the fund hasn't paid them. Um, and uh, you know how how is the compensation fund going to handle? And you must remember there is about in excess of eight hundred thousand, um, uh, and it's, it's a guesstimate. And they think a maximum of about one point three million domestic workers in South Africa. How how are they going to handle the administrative pressure? Um, to to handle you know not only claims but the collection of of these of these dues um, and the same situation with the, with the, with the unemployment insurance fund is that they um, if if an employer doesn't register and now I want to get to the employee side mm. the employee doesn't have any control over any of this. A domestic worker will find a job, she will take the job, she will start working, she will work for months and years, not knowing whether she has been registered for UIF. But is that the employee's problem? Because I know if if you're working for a company, um, as an employee, it's it's actually not your business that your employer didn't register you. If you uh, need to claim, you claim from the fund and they will deal with the employer. Later on, uh, Michael, it's mm-hmm. it's not that simple. Oh, yeah. uh, just take just take as an example now that we this uh, um, the um, um, uh, benefits that were paid out now under under the uh, temporary employment relief systems mm. or unemployment relief system. 
there you had the situation that if an employer was not registered for UIF, they could not lodge a claim for the, for that domestic worker. Mm, mm. So it is it, it 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 doesn't work that way. You know where people say, but you know it's not their concern. We have we have um, complaints coming in where uh, employees who know that we are doing the employer's administration come to us and say, but uh, you know I'm trying to claim maternity benefits. And they say, but uh, I don't exist on the system. Hmm. I was never registered. Hmm. Mm. Now, where must that employee go, and how must she get registered? But, but I understand. I mean, uh, I mean, the the, the TES payments might be a different issue because that was sort of done under very, you know, a very new and different regime. But what I understand, and I'm also an employer um, uh, in various capacities that I hold, I understand that. You, if if I don't pay your UIF as my employee, I'm in trouble because the Department of Labor will pay you, uh, but they'll come after me because it was my obligation to register. Um, and 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 and, and, and like I say, I can't debate what happened under the TES scheme because I that was it is yeah. it's, it is too Michael for for the commercial employers. Yes, because it's very easy for an employee to say that I worked at okay, ABC. So, so then the problem might be for domestic but, workers. Yes. Okay. Great. And it's, okay. It's sometimes very difficult for them to even give the address where they're working. Absolutely. Because sure. they work in an estate somewhere, and there's a number. Yes. Yes. And, and they don't even know. In a lot of cases, no paper they trail. don't even know the surnames. Yeah, indeed, and sometimes there's no paper trail. Oh man. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, whatsoever. How true, how true is that? Yeah. Uh, Tim, we got two more minutes, and I'd like to, you know, get you to say your piece. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. I, I guess technology again. <laughs> um, we are concerned. Well, the absence that thereof. Mm. I was just saying it's the absence of technology that because if, <laughs> if <the laughs> I, don't, I don't know whether it's my location, but, but it goes like this. Uh, Clause 43 in the new bill will effectively uh, remove an element of the compensation fund system that works. There is no reason, no justification, no validity, and the consequences will be quite dire for doing so. That's for uh, medical service providers, for uh, workers, and uh, for employers. Michael, we would ask one thing. Could the public and anyone concerned or interested in this issue, we have until... Friday, 19th of February, to make written submissions to Parliament. I would plead to our public in South Africa. We are a great and concerned public. We've had this victory of, of domestic workers, but we must please write to Parliament and express our concerns about this bill uh, so that we're heard in Parliament and we can have these uh, damaging clauses removed and the bill made fit for purpose. Hmm. All right, let's heed that call uh, from Tim Hughes. Don't don't complain that the legislation doesn't work after it's been passed. This is the time to give your comments and let's heed the call by Tim Hughes. Tim Hughes, many, many thanks. And to you as well, Albert van der Gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, to you, uh, my Afropolitans, um, as always, it's been good. I look forward to being with you again next Wednesday. From me, Michael Matoning-Bill, good evening.